postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, ah, it's all the secular people's fault, and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic how can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. Hey guys, it's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church podcast. We are now about to land the plane on the series, How to Minister with the LGBT Plus community. But before we go to the interview with Paul Anthony Turner, I do need to point out that for this final episode, Anthony and I sat down and we chatted for about two and a half hours. So I'm actually having to take this final episode and split it into two separate episodes because I seriously doubt any of you are going to be sitting around for two and a half hours. This is not the Joe Rogan podcast, so we're not going to do that. So in today's episode, you are going to enjoy the first part of that conversation. And then next week, I will post the second and final part that wraps up this series, uh, how to minister with the LGBT plus community. I hope that you are blessed and I hope that you enjoy and may God bless you. Anthony, welcome back, bro. This is uh, this is it, man. We're about to land the plane. How are you feeling? A little bittersweet. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, really glad we got to do this. And it's sad that it's coming to an end, but hopefully um, people are learning a lot. I'm really glad I can help people um, to think about these issues in a broader way. So thanks for providing this platform. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and I, and I want to thank you for your sacrifice, bro, because this is, I mean, what are we pushing now? This, this would be episode five. And this has been a giant chunk of uh, investment in time for you. You know, for me, I I'm going to be on here on a Monday podcasting anyway. So it's like, you know, <laughs> but for you, like you actually had to take time out of your schedule to sit down, have these conversations. Uh, I mean, our last one, you know, we, we talked for an hour and a half. And then prior to that, you know, about about close to an hour for each episode. So this has been a huge time investment for you, man. Uh, so thank you so much because it's really meant a lot to so many people. Glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so on our final episode, what we want to do now is we want to switch gears. We spent the first four episodes deconstructing. Uh, and so we're talking about the don'ts. And obviously that takes time because you're deconstructing. And deconstructing always takes a little bit longer than, than constructing. Um, and so arguably so, I admit. But um, at least in our experience, it's, it's certainly... I think a little bit tougher to deconstruct some of those categories that we've become accustomed to uh, and possibly sort of immortalized. Uh, that's, you know, a bit more work than actually getting in there and talking about what do we do. So we've done the deconstructing and uh, now we're going to move into what are some of the things that we can practically, actively forward movement type stuff do to minister with the LGBT plus community. So Paul Anthony, 
I'm gonna hand the mic over to you and I want you to just lead us through and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna respond as best as possible uh, to the things you share I might play devil's advocate here and there uh, on behalf of of some who might be listening but th this should be fun so let's let's go for it yeah definitely um, so there's there, there are so many things that you can do when <laughs> I guess in, in how we've structured this series once you've gotten all the things that you shouldn't do, there, it really opens up the um, a realm of possibilities for what you should do. Um, kind of, you know what the parameters are, you know what the, the worst practices are. And so just avoid those things, really. Not that I gave a definitive list, but if you definitely avoid some of the things that I mentioned, it really opens up a, it really opens up the floodgates for what you, for what you can do. Um, so the first thing I think is foundational and crucial before we ever do seek to do ministry for or to or with um, any demographic of people is to ask God to fix the problems that we have in our hearts toward that community. Um, so specifically for this situation, ask God to fix the queer phobia that um, you have in your heart, um, homophobia, um, transphobia, whatever it might be. Ask God to help you overcome that. And to be sure, to be certain, all of us um, have to some degree queer phobia. Even I, as a queer person, have um, residual queer phobia because of the way I was raised. So um, we, you know, even if you are out there on the front lines um, in, in standing up for queer people, or if you're silently an ally, um, or what, wherever you might be, just recognize there are still things for you to learn because of how deeply ingrained homophobia, transphobia, queerphobia of all kind has been ingrained in us. So ask God to fix the, ask God to fix the queerphobia in your heart for, you, for him to help you to be honest with yourself um, and to consider how much of what you believe, how much of what you do is coming from, um, is coming from a, a healthy place and how much of it is really coming from a place of deep prejudice. I mean, how much of it might just be hidden kind of reminds me of, of, of Peter um, where uh, in, in, I believe it's, I believe it's Acts chapter, chapters 10 and 11, where he didn't, it, it seems as if from, from the way the story is told with um, Cornelius, um, the centurion, it seems as if Peter was not very in tune. Was it Peter? Or was it Paul? I think it was Peter. Don't, yeah, I think it was Peter. Yeah, it was definitely he was, Peter. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he was not very in tune with the prejudice that he still had in his heart. And God had to use a very dramatic <laughs> um, dream to call it to the front of his, to the forefront of his mind so that he could actually help Peter to wrestle through his prejudice and realize that God um, calls all people to salvation. Yeah. And so I think that's the first step is ask God, help me with my queer phobia, Jesus. Wow, man, that is, you know, for those listening, I have not seen the list that Paul Anthony wrote of here, here are the 10 things that you, you should do. <laughs> I, I had seen the don'ts because we had talked about it, but this, this is totally like, I'm getting this firsthand, just like you guys are. That's really, really powerful, man. And it, it, it really synchronizes because right now, um, my church and I, the, the church plant, the, the micro church plant that I'm, I'm working with, uh, we are um, working through the, the gospel of John and we're looking at each chapter from a missional perspective. Um, asking the questions, you know, like what what does what do the stories that John tell say about living out the ethic of the kingdom, the rhythms of Christ's kingdom? So we're in chapter four right now, and uh, I was just sharing with the group last night because we had our board meeting. I was just sharing with them like this this 
text in John chapter four, I believe it's verse four itself, actually, where it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was he was he was leaving uh, where he was and he was headed. I think he was headed to a Galilee or I don't know. I can't remember the trivia, but he was he was he was moving and he had to go through Samaria. And obviously, the interesting thing is, you know, for any of us who are familiar with that um, particular part of the world and that time is he didn't have to go through Samaria because the Jews did not go through Samaria like they went around it. You know, so um, it, it was it was very common in those days to to, um, avoid going through Samaria. So there were plenty of alternative routes. Um, and even if it maybe, I mean, you know, my, my geography of New Testament isn't, you know, like I'm not an expert in that. Maybe there was only one alternative route. I don't know. But the point is, there were options. Like he didn't have to go through Samaria. So this isn't a statement in terms of travel. Like he had to, it, from a travel perspective, this is a missional statement. He had to go through Samaria because the heart of Jesus always approximates itself to the outcast. And, and, and so that's what we've re- like sort of wrestling with this week is like, who is the Samaritan in our world? Where is the Samaria in our world? Um, where is the outcast in our world? And how can we be vessels for Jesus to approximate those people? And I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's like such, like it synchronizes so well with that lesson that we're wrestling with right now. It's like, all of us have a Samaritan in our life. All of us have a Samaria in our life, sort of a no-go zone or a place we try to avoid. And Jesus wants to go there. You know, so if, if, if that for you is the LGBT plus community and the prejudices and, 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 and biases that you have against that community, yeah, man, that's such a beautiful place to begin. And I love the fact that you mentioned that we all have it, because I think sometimes we assume like, hey, I'm an ally, so I don't have any. And it's like, I don't think we appreciate how deeply ingrained some of this stuff really is, you know, and it's definitely I love that, bro. I love that's a beautiful challenge, man. Wow. Yeah. And it's one that I have to live by every day. I still have many things to learn. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, whew, man. Yeah, that is fire. Okay. All right. So we're praying, saying, God, um, almost like that prayer of David, right? Where he says, um, you know, search me and see if there is any, any, any wicked way in me, you know, like search me and know my heart. It's like, it's almost like David saying, I know it's in there. I, I don't know what it is, but I know it's in there. So just, just find it, God, just find it and root it out. And, um, yeah, this is, this is powerful, man. Have you ever have you ever encountered people who will say, you know, kind of like I've mentioned a little bit of it already, but I'm interested in, in sort of a back and forth from you. Uh, people who will say, "Hey, look, um, I I don't have any queer phobia. Uh, I love I love gay people. I have gay friends. You know, it's it's almost like the I have I have friends who are African, so I'm not racist. Um, <laughs> you know, like have." How do you wrestle with that being a part, being it being a gay man, um, and you're trying to call people to that deeper appreciation and and transformation, and they respond that way, like, oh, I don't need to do that, I don't have any. Like, how how do you I wrestle? Just, I just tell them simply enough, like, honestly, the 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 heart, the human heart is deceptive, is deceptive above all things. Just recognize that, and recognize that prejudice runs deeper than what we are even than what we're conscious of. And also I just say, don't, you know, don't be so, um, don't be so, I don't know, deluded as to believe that you are not homophobic. Meanwhile, we queer people still are queer phobic and we queer people still ourselves 
um, still still struggle with that. Don't think that you um, somehow experience, uh, have some way of looking at us that we ourselves are still struggling to, to mm. come to have for ourselves. Don't, don't think that. Um, it's a good thought. And I, I, and yes, I, I have a lot of straight friends, for instance, who are out there and they're like, they're like really, really out there for, for us and queer people. But um, it's just unrealistic. It's unreasonable to suggest that you are more in touch with how beautiful someone else is than how they see then And I don't know. It seems, it seems just a bit, a bit out of touch with reality of <laughs> the reality of things. Um, so, so someone might say that trying to come across as I'm with you, but in reality, it, it can have the opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it almost comes off as kind of uh, sometimes a, a bit paternalistic and maybe a bit naive. And, but I think people who, when they say it, they have good intentions, but it's just that you don't realize how deeply ingrained these narratives are in all of us. And if we, the ones about whom these, these, these narratives are written, still have it within us, it's unreasonable to suggest that you being a part of the demographic that, that perpetrates this narrative um, would not have that somewhere remaining in you in some degree. It's just a bit, yeah. But, um, and actually related wow. to this point is um, a second point. And that's, you know, once you ask God, you know, Lord, do work in my heart, it opens you up to the possibility, not the possibility, the reality of the fact that God is calling LGBT plus people regardless of what, what, you know, whether they believe in gay marriage or not, or whatever, um, God is calling LGBT people to be in a relationship with him, deep relationship with him and in the church, um, to have a, a definite place in the church. Um, mm. and so the point is that we need to, the church needs to encourage LGBT plus people to know Jesus despite their sexual ethics. Um, yeah. Even if you might have a, even if someone has a problem with, for instance, that a transgender person considering themselves um, to be transgender, and as you're still cashing that out, as you're still working out, working that out with God, you need to trust that God is calling them and believe that God is actually calling um, them um, to know him, to, to know him. And we as Christians have a responsibility, regardless of what of how we might disagree with certain groups of people on, on how they live or how they perceive the world. We need to realize that God is calling all people and that they have just as much a right to get to know Jesus and for, to go on a journey with him as the rest of us. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, duh, Paul, I mean, Jesus knows everything, but, but it's when we add that, but in people add a, but to that statement, no people have the right to know Jesus. Um, no one is more worthy to know Jesus than another. So we need to be, um, we need to be absolute in our quest to introduce LGBT plus people to to Jesus. No matter how we how the church might disagree on certain matters of sexual ethics. Yeah, yeah uh, that's a that's a really big one. And look. There's so much. There's so much. And so this would we're technically in point two now. Am I right? Yes. Okay. All right. So we're okay. So man, there's <laughs> so much to parse, so much to parse here. As you're sharing this, I'm thinking, oh man, w which direction do I go in here? Cause there's a lot, but like, all right. So I'll just let maybe shotgun and throw a few ideas out there that are, that are coming across my mind and, and see what you think. So, um, I think deeply embedded in this idea when you go to the gospels is this notion that like Jesus, 
<sighs> okay. I don't think we as Christians in the modern age, and I'm not just talking about Adventists, I'm talking about Christians in general. I don't think we appreciate the degree to which Jesus upended everything. Yes. The New <laughs> Testament Christians were so, like the ones who put their faith in Jesus, who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, were so mind blown that they had to reinterpret the entire Old Testament because of him. Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's not that Jesus came and he was like, hey, we had all this revelation in the Old Testament and it's sort of culminated in Jesus. It's like, yes, we've had all this revelation in the Old Testament, but then Jesus shows up and it's like, wow, this, he upends everything. It's like, we've got to go back. You know, this is what Paul is doing, right? He's like, we got to go back and we got to rethink everything. Like Jesus has flipped the whole thing upside down, you know? Um, and, and one of the things that I find really fascinating is, you know, like you see in the Old Testament, and, and I, I'm still processing this, man. I don't fully understand it. But you see God telling the people of Israel to do certain things in the Old Testament. And then in the new, and then when Jesus shows up, he's like, nah, that's not what I'm about. And it's just like, you know, like for example, Elijah calls down fire from heaven to kill the, I believe it was the Assyrian soldiers who came, came to arrest him. And it's like, when the disciples tell Jesus to call fire down on Samaria, which, you know, it has a history, you know, is Assyrian, uh, Jesus tells them, you don't know what spirit you're of. And it's like, but wait a minute, didn't the great prophet do like what spirit was he of then? Like, did we miss something? Are we are we missing something massive here? You know, um, or, you know, the commands to like exterminate the Canaanites. Well, what happens when the Canaanite woman whose child is demon possessed comes to Jesus? Mm. You know, it's like. I mean, he he honors her, you know, he, he celebrates her faith. And it's crazy because you're thinking a Canaanite woman whose child is demon possessed. Yeah, you did that to yourself. You know, like you you knocked on that door. You you opened up that that portal. You know, that's your problem. Um, don't feel pity for you. Um, and Jesus definitely uses it as an opportunity not only to heal her daughter, but to also challenge the prejudices of his own disciples, you know, which is deeply embedded in that story where he says, you know, the whole thing about the dog and the crumbs. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, but it seems as though Jesus himself is manifesting prejudice, but what he's actually doing is he's, he's using it as an object lesson to expose their prejudice. So anyways, the point I'm making is all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is doing this stuff that we just would not expect God to do. Right. And he's, he's approximating people that it's like, you know, here's Jesus hanging out with drunkards and Jesus hanging out with, you know, people who are like, you know, prostitutes and, and, and just the ill repute of society. And the religious leaders are like, this can't possibly be God. Right. And the thing is, we often sit back and say, oh, the religious leaders were just a bunch of legalistic, you know, sort of uh, rude, narcissistic, nasty people. But if you're really honest and you look through the Old Testament, they had every reason to do what they were doing. I mean, there's plenty of fodder in the Old Testament for them to defend their course of action. And, and yet Jesus shows up and he's like, he's hanging out with these people and he's loving on them and he's receiving them, you know? So, so I don't think we appreciate the degree to which Jesus upends everything. And when you look at Jesus and, and you think, you know, Jesus, if Jesus was here today, 
how would he treat the LGBT plus community? Mm. You know, if if LGBT plus people came to him, seeking him like 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 the Canaanite woman, like the like the like the Roman centurion, right? Like the lepers, like like the the prostitutes, like the like the drunkards. They came seeking him. Would Jesus pull a Pharisee and say, "No, I'm God and I'm too holy to be associated with you"? Or would he? Or would he shock us to the degree that he would he would immerse himself into that relationship? You know. So I I, I guess that's that's one thing. I don't know. I, I thought about so many things as you were sharing. You know, this point like about you know really nurturing LGBT plus people to really have that relationship with Jesus. I fully mm-hmm. fundamentally believe. That that's what he wants. He wants to be in relationship. And, 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 you know, some people say, well, you know, what about this? And what, you know, the paternalism kind of creeps up, you know, <laughs> he's like, well, well, what if, what if they believe same sex marriage is okay or same sex sex? And it's like, I don't know, for me, I'm like, that's, that's their business with Jesus. You know, my, my job isn't to be some, the moral police of somebody. My job is to say, here's Jesus. I want to nurture you toward that relationship with him and, and, and be in that relationship with him and support you. Anyways, Okay, I'm going to stop talking because there's just so many cool things, but go for it, Paul. I think the straight paternalism comes from the fear that God is not, uh, God is not sufficient father. Mm. We'll, we'll try to be our father, the, 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 the pater, the, you know, the, the paternal figure for, for queer people because they don't trust our father in heaven to be our father. It's like, mm. trust that he's got us and he will lead us to where we need to be. Praise his name. Um, yeah. and, and I think another part of it is that straight people need to be humble by which will be the result of being humbled. And that will happen when they, and this is the, uh, the third point, um, sit down with LGBT plus people and learn about our experiences. Mm. And so we're on point three now. Yeah, we're on point three. Sit okay. down with queer people All right, sweet. learn about yeah. their experiences. Um, this is, this is the, this is, it's, it's very simple of all these things. This is probably going to be, honestly, as I look at this list, it's probably going to be the simplest thing that one of the, one of the simplest things on this list that, that straight Christians can do is sit down with LGBT plus people, close your mouth, use the two ears that God gave you and learn. Um, and, and have enough trust in God to believe that by you listening to someone else's experience, it doesn't mean that you're going to be compromising your faith. God isn't sitting up there saying, oh, if you listen to someone else that you disagree with, you're going to, you're committing sin. You're not being, you're not being strong in your faith. No, I think it takes a certain kind of strong faith to be able to suspend judgment, to be willing to learn and, um, I think that takes a, a larger amount of faith than coming into a conver- than coming into a conversation completely closed off and shut down. That's that's not a strong. I, I will just say that's not a strong Christian. That's a that's a very weak and fragile Christian. A very weak faith. One that if one str- a faith that if a strong wave comes up against it, it's going to crush it because it's 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 too it's too um, brittle. It's too yeah. And your, your faith needs to be something that can give and bend as it remains strong and durable. 
Mm -hmm. um, so sit down with queer people, learn about our experiences. We'll, 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 we'll share with you the abuse that we've suffered, how we've been disowned by our families, how we've been um, abused by our church. Some of us have been um, molested. Some of us have been, um, have had our names dragged through, through, through the dirt. Um, how we don't feel like we have any earthly attachments that we can really trust, but our own community. Um, how we feel as if God is actually condemning us to hell just for existing as we are. We can share with you our frustrations for being told, pray the gay away for years and, and pray that you don't have these feelings that you're actually a man, but you're trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. Or pray that, um, you know, all these, you know, if you would just sit down with us and learn there, this is not just a doctrine. This isn't, it's not primarily a doctrinal matter at all. It's an existential matter. We have turned this into a heady intellectual matter. This is a matter of the heart. You're dealing off with, with people, um, with how people view themselves at, at their core, their sexual preferences, their sexual desires, their, their emotions, their, their gender identities, their, uh, whatever it might be, you have to realize these things are at the core of who we are. So when the church treats it like it's just another doctrinal matter to discuss like the Sabbath or the state of the dead or 1844 or Ellen White, you're turning this very deeply emotional existential matter into something that you can write a book about or put a theological statement out about. And it demonstrates a certain lack of understanding about our humanity. So sit down with us, have people ask, if you know there are some gay people in your church, ask them to come over to your house. If, if that would be, a, you know, if, if you're a safe enough person to be able to do that, um, you know, or, you know, whatever on meet on our turf, meet on our, our turf and say, I want to learn from you because I have these understandings about people like you, people, part of your community. And I'm led to believe because of what Pastor Paul said <laughs> that I might be off in some things. And so I want you to share with me what your experience has been. I promise you, you will learn just as much from listening to our stories as you will from going and doing an exegesis of Leviticus 18 and 20 and Romans 1 and wherever the other texts are. Um, because this, again, is a human matter. It's not some kind of heady matter. That's right. That's right, man. And, you know, honestly, that's that's why in this entire series, uh, I said to you, look, I actually don't really want to talk about theology all that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to go to Leviticus and here and there. And what do these texts mean? And what's the Greek and the Hebrew and blah, blah, blah. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think there's enough of that. But I, I believe that it's possible to have really, really, really meaningful, redemptive relationships with people without necessitating that level of scholarly, you know, depth. I, I think if, if you need, like, if you need every I dotted and every T crossed regarding the issue of LGBT and biblical sexuality, uh, in order for you to pursue meaningful relationships with LGBT plus people, you'll probably never have meaningful relationships 
with LGBT plus people. I don't I have mean, all the answers, you know, like I, I look at like I, I sit down with my friends who are gay and we talk and and I share with them and, and I look at some of those texts in scripture and I'm like, I see them. They make me uncomfortable. I don't really have all the answers. But this one thing I do know, I, I really love you and I want you to have a relationship with Jesus and I want to be here with you for it, whether or not I fully understand everything or or fully agree with this you know side a side b x y like i i don't know like <laughs> but but one thing i do know is i want you to walk with jesus and i want to be the person i don't want to be the person who gets in the way of that because i don't have this eye crossed and this t you know slashed and yeah anyways does that make sense <laughs> i hope that makes sense honestly it's it's exactly what christ did um it's exactly what Christ does um, in, in meeting with us where we are, where we, sometimes we might be wrong about things. And this is not to draw a correlation and say that LGBT people who are side A or whatever are wrong. That's not, that's not the point. It's to say, even if you are in a, if you are of a particular belief that disagrees with something that we in the LGBT plus community might believe, that should not, if Christ is your paradigm for ministry, having a disagreement believing that someone is wrong about something should not and should not lead you when you're looking at the example of christ should not lead you to dissociate with them because christ did not dissociate with the people he knew were wrong you might think that you're wrong and you might be right you might be wrong christ knew that he was right about what about how we as sinners were living and he came and dwelt more fully with us i mean as god he was already you know he was already here with us and however, however you want to cash that out exactly that he was here with us. Um, but he decided to come still closer with people that he, as God knew were wrong. Um, so we can't use our, or the church cannot use its belief or it's dis it's disagreements with the LGBT community as, as a grounds for dissociating with them and then say that it's Christ. It's not Christ. Christ comes closer still. <laughs> it, it tickles me actually. Yes, it, yeah. it, he comes still closer yeah. to people that he doesn't that he knows are wrong. And that's I think that should be our paradigm. Even if you think someone is wrong, okay. If your paradigm is Christ and it should be, then you have to come still closer to people. Um, and this this leads to a ow, this leads to another point. Um related to sitting down with LGBT plus people, that's you being proactive, um, really, you know, proactively going and seeking out, you know, I have things that as a straight person, I need to learn. The other part of it is when LGBT plus people come to you mm. uh, and they come out to you, they come to you and they come out to you. They're okay. I wish I had, I wish I had talked about this and under the don'ts actually, but I think, I think we've sufficiently hammered that out. So maybe I'll just, I'll just, I'll speak about it positively. Appreciate when LGBT plus people come out to you. Recognize that when we come out, it's a major, it takes a lot of trust potentially or it takes a lot of boldness. Even if we don't trust you and we do still come out to you, it takes a lot of boldness and a lot of courage. Now, that might sound like kind of like, oh yeah, it's not the big deal. You're just sharing something about your life. No, it's a really big deal. People have lost their lives for as much. Just coming out to their, their parents 
family members have killed. There's there's a story of certain Caribbean country that my professor tells me about where a young a young man came out to his pastor and said, yo, I, I want to be baptized. Adventist, Adventist church, Adventist elders, when they found out that that young man um, was gay um, and wanted to be baptized, the elders of this church killed that young man, Adventist church. just because he came out of the closet. This is no small matter when we come out and share something like we're, we're, we're transgender or we're gay or we're bisexual or we're asexual or whatever it might be. It's, 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 it's a lot to us. Um, so appreciate that we're, that we perceive in you potentially that you are a trustworthy person, that you are a safe person, a person who would defend us. Really, really consider how we, what kind of standing you must have in our lives that we would share that with you. And can, and then also consider the weighty responsibility you have to be Christ for us, to be Christ, our defender, um, for those who would, who would, who would come against us and try to abuse us or attack us. You have a responsibility. So appreciate that when we come out to you, don't, don't use it. Here's the don't, don't use it as an opportunity for you to say, well, have you considered Leviticus 18 and 20? Listen, sweetie, we already know what Leviticus 18 and 20 says. We know what Adam and Eve, we know about Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve. Listen, we already know what all the different things that you can bring out. God made a man and he, got, he made a woman. You're a man or a woman. Listen, sweetie, we already know what those texts say. Rehashing them is not going to help us in the moment when, when we come out. Often we're so broken when we come out. We're so hurt. We're so, we're so scared. We're emotionally and spiritually drained that you doing yet another exegesis of those passages of scripture or recommending this conversion therapy is not what we need to hear despite your best intents. I'm sorry. It's not what we need. Absolutely. You need to have the humility and the humanity enough to recognize that we're sharing with you that something that lies at the core of who we are and something that people have lost their lives or taken their lives for. Um, so just consider, consider what yeah. we're sharing when we come out, see it as a moment for you to grow and for you to be there be and be Christ for us. So I came out, um, I'll tell this in, 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 with incredible brevity. Um, I was at Campus Ministries Convention in Seattle, well, near Seattle, not, technically at Seattle, Washington, is Washington State. It was like, I think it was this, it was 2015, like in February. And I was um, with my campus ministries team at this campus ministries convention. And there was a pastor there who had the year prior, within the year prior, <laughs> preached a controversial sermon <laughs> that looking back, honestly, wasn't a big deal. But at the time, it was very controversial for a lot of people, and especially for me, because I was very much in the closet, and I had a very negative view of my sexuality, even though, you know, you know, more negative. I had, let's just say, I just had an exceptionally negative view of my sexuality, and I wasn't trying to find any of the redeemable or redemptive qualities to my sexuality. It was just all bad. And I heard this pastor, he, he preached this sermon. It was this big thing. I remember I was so mad when I heard him preach this sermon, because it basically seemed to me to be him celebrating LGBT plus people, but also saying, well, I didn't technically say gay marriage was right kind of thing. And for some reason, it just really angered me. And um, y'all probably know what I'm talking about if you're from the United States. Anyways, so I was, um, so we were at this, ministry, this campus ministries convention 
and he was there. And I went to the breakout room where they were talking about how to do ministry to the, um, with the, with the LGBT plus community. And there were a lot of interesting thoughts that were going around. I was hearing none of it because I knew what I knew and I knew that what I knew was right. Um, <laughs> and this pastor was also in there. Now, every time I would see him, I had this ungodly um, contempt toward him. Um, and he started to basically rehash this sermon that he did. And I was sitting next to my, my, um, one of my chat, one of the chaplains of my school sitting, like sitting on the table behind her and she was sitting in her chair and I was actually clutching her table. And I was so angry hearing what he was saying, because I disagreed with my own beliefs that, um, I, I was actually shaking her chair and you could see she was like trying to calm me down, probably wondering, and she's a major support. She's support. She's so supportive now. This this chaplain of mine, I love her to death. Um, and um, and so I, I storm out. I storm out of this room. Um, just mad. And I'm going around, just crying and feeling so hurt. And I, I I didn't understand why I was feeling so hurt. I didn't know what it was. It's like I've heard this kind of stuff before. I mean, like not a big a deal. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I've heard it before. But for some reason, it was really hitting me at this moment. And so I found my head chaplain and I took him, I said, and I took him out to, we were on a beach. And so I took him to this rocky beach, beautiful Northwest. Uh, if I remember correctly, there was some fog gently out there and on the water, whatever. Maybe I'm just reconstructing it anyways. Making the moment more what, than what it was. <laughs> anyways, but it was pretty epic. And we were standing on the beach and I, um, and I was like just going off, like you'll never guess what pastor so-and-so said. And I said, my chaplain, my chaplain was like, oh, okay, okay, wow, okay. And, you know, no matter what he might have thought about what the pastor, at, the chap, the other chaplain had said, I could tell that he was kind of like, why do you care? Like, okay, I mean, like, sure, it might be problematic, but why are you so mad? And like, I'm just like saying, yeah, he's saying this and he's saying that. And, and, the, and then without me thinking, like a big pause, and then without me thinking and without it really felt like it was not even my will to say it, but it's like, and the reason why I care is because I'm gay. And I was like, I had never said that to another human in my life. And that wasn't, I was, uh, was that 21 at the time? Yeah, I was 21, 21, 22, maybe. Yeah. And I sank, I sank to my knees. It was such a heavy moment. I felt like throwing up. I thought I was, I, I felt sick to my stomach, but at the same time, I felt like a, a load of like a million pounds were just thrown off my shoulders. It was so nice to be seen by someone else with respect to this thing that I had kept hidden for so long and was so ashamed of. But now this trusted mentor of mine knew this thing and he also responded with such love. He wasn't disgusted. He didn't, he didn't go into Leviticus 18 and 20 in Romans one, he didn't go into any of that. He didn't say Adam and Eve, Adam and Steve, are you living celibate for Jesus? He just said, I'm here for you. Thank you so much for sharing. Wow, thank you for trusting me. That was the right response. For those people who start asking if you're celibate or not, um, or are you really gonna get that sex change? Or are you, are, are you sure you're asexual? Are you sure, or you know, whatever, are you sure you're bisexual? Or are you just like a really promiscuous straight guy? You know. That's not how you respond. You respond like how my chaplain responded. He didn't say anything about my sexual behaviors or activity or whatever. He didn't say anything about how my coming out would affect my job. 
He didn't say uh, in campus ministries. He didn't say any of that. He just said, thank you so much for sharing that. I've learned something else about you and I love you all the more for it. That's how you respond. Yeah. It, it seems like a- to me, yeah, yeah. It seems to me, even like tying this back to the last episode, it seems to me as though your, your chaplain um, it was not of the mentality of um, I'm here to fix you. Yes. Right. Cause that, and, and that's one of the things we talked about in the last episode is it's, it's, that's the thing that creates this environment um, that's negative for LGBT plus people is when we look at them as projects to be fixed uh, and we see ourselves as the fixers. He didn't see himself that way. And so he was able to respond to you in, in a way that actually provided healing and acceptance that you needed in order to get, take, you know, to go through the rest of this journey. Um, Yeah. That's, that's powerful, man. That's, that's really, really powerful. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, for parents, for pastors, for church members, anyone who's listening to this, um, that's a really encouraging story. Really, really encouraging story. Wow. All right. Take us to the next point. Yeah. So um, the, the next point is, <laughs> please read up on the literature, <laughs> please. And make the information that you learn available in church. Um, I'll give you some suggestions for for literature. Not the Bible. Now, before people throw stones at me, the reason why I say not the Bible is because the Bible is not a psychology textbook. It is not a book on sexuality. It makes certain statements about sexuality, but it is not a textbook that is primarily centered on, on, on mining out the richness of sexuality. It's a story of God's miraculous intervention, salvific interventions in the world to save humanity from sin by his son. And all the various points that it does touch on center on that point, on on coming to that point, on on glorifying Jesus Christ and pointing people to Jesus Christ. So it's not going to be an astronomy textbook, a biology textbook, a psychology textbook. So stop treating it like that. Go to the texts and the sources that have been designed to meet those needs. Um, and and take the information that you learn from those sources and integrate them, or first off, consider them in light of scripture, and then integrate them with your biblical worldview. Um, and that's something that I, in order to start really thinking about sexuality in a more, if, uh, ironically, in order to start thinking about sexuality in a more biblical way, I had to kind of step away, in a sense, step away from looking at it purely from the context of the Bible, because the Bible is not going into the subject matter um, that in depth, it says what it says about sexuality, but the things that it doesn't say about sexuality, you're going to have to learn from other, from other places. Um, so and I think tech- we talked about this in the first episode, uh, where we, where we mentioned how, yeah, scripture informs, it informs us when it comes to sexual things. Uh, but it's not, it's not a book on sexuality. So you're not going to get a full panoramic view with all the nuances and, everything, you know, just from reading the Bible. And this applies to anything, you know, like marriage. Hey, the Bible has tons of really good, um, you know, uh, you know, wisdom on, on how to have a godly, beautiful marriage. Uh, but if you're struggling in your marriage and you're dealing with some, some issues, um, the Bible can be a part of that and can be foundational to that, but you're going to need to go elsewhere. 
You know, you're going right. to need to see a therapist. You're going to need to get some marriage books from written by a professional marriage therapist, for example, because it's going to go into more color. And what I often say to people who vehemently disagree with that and say, oh, you're, you're, you know, um, insulting the all sufficiency of scripture. I'm like, why did Ellen White write books on education? Why did Ellen White write books on health? Why did Ellen White write books on, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just slipped my mind. Um, uh, evangelism, you know, all these different topics, the structure of the church, how our church should be structured, you know, uh, books on, you know, testimonies to the church and testimonies to pastors. Why'd you do that? Because there was a need for supplementary material that's rooted in scripture, but that's specifically geared to those issues that scripture isn't specifically addressing in a panoramic sense so you're right like scripture is a book is a panoramic redemptive narrative of of god's salvific plan through history it's not a book about sexuality it's not a book about veganism all right like you know like it's not it's not a it's not a book about mathematics you know they you got to go study mathematics if you you know like so anyways i think we've we've made that point so i i totally agree with you so um yeah go for it I would actually recommend are um, the following. And I'm going to give you some that are from both. Well, not, I'll give you the books that I, that I, well, some of them will be side B, some of them will be side A, some of them will not be Christian. Um, but the first one I recommend, um, and it, it really, if you want to understand what I mean when I talk about queerness and straightness, not only referring to sexual preferences, sexual desires, sexual identity, sexual behavior, but also to cultural orientation, aesthetics, and a whole range of subjective experiences that queer people have or straight people have. Um, the book that you want to read is How to Be Gay by David Halperin. Um, I think I'm saying his name right, David Halperin. I'm not exactly sure. Fantastic book. Um, it's written from a non-Christian perspective, but he explains in a very intriguing way how being gay is just as much cultural orientation as it is sexual orientation and sexual identity. Um, so there's that. And then there is um, Single Gay Christian by my friend Greg Coles. Um, it's, a, it's a book written by a celibate gay Christian. Um, I know him personally, um, fantastic guy. Whether you, your church maintains a traditional biblical sex ethic or a progressive one, the, the, um, the book written by um, Dr. Christina Hitchcock, um, The Significance of Singleness, A Theological Vision for the Future of the Church, is indispensable. You have to read it. It's amazing. It's short. It's this like barely 150 pages. Fantastic. Um, I think that this is something that both side A and side B people, and I'll talk about this in a second, need to read because both sides tend to idolize marriage in a certain way. One side um, talks about marriage as a right. That would be more of the side A side that, that tends to harp on that. Um, and then the more conservative side tends to harp on marriage as a necessity, necessity for you to live the best human existence. So that's, a, that's an indispensable text. Um, and then I already mentioned single gay Christian, my friend Greg Coles, um, and that's written from a side B perspective. Another is All But Invisible by my friend, um, Nate Collins, um, who is also a side B, theo he's a side B theologian, and he's a gay man himself. Both of these, these last two men 
are gay men, all but invisible, exploring identity questions at the intersection of faith, gender, and sexuality. Um, another text and uh, is guiding families of LGBT plus loved ones. There is actually an Adventist edition of this, guiding families of LGBT plus loved ones. You can get them for free, a few copies for free from the NAD, I believe, something along those lines, the North American Division. Um, it's made by an organization called Posture Shift Books. Um, and anyways, you can get several copies for free from the NAD. I think all you have to do is pay for shipping. It's a fantastic resource. It doesn't go into theology and all that stuff. It just, it assumes our, the, the Adventist church's traditional biblical sex ethic, but it talks about the more important matters of showing you the statistics um, of, of how of suicidality among queer people. It um, talks about how to fix your relationship after, after your relationship has been strained because of how you might've treated your LGBT plus loved one, um, how, to, um, how to consider um, language, um, inclusive language, um, and, and so many other fa fantastic um, points that a lot of people have questions on. It's, it's a small, like a little booklet. You can read it in a, in a day. Um, another book that's um, a little bit more complex um, is Homoeroticism in the Biblical World, a Historical Perspective, written by Marty Nissinen. Um, and it just kind of gives you an understanding of what, um, how same-sex, relationships would have looked like in the in this in the, in the time of um would have been viewed during the time of the um that the bible was written so that's that's an interesting text um a couple a few more three more texts um one is um mostly straight it's called mostly straight sexual fluidity among men and it's written by rich c savin williams um now this text i have not actually i've not actually started to read but i know the the um, premise of it is that there is this um, qualitative research that was done that that kind of that, that just demonstrates that there is sexual fluidity among men, and that these firm categories, these static categories of straight and and gay, are not static. Actually, it's a spectrum, and it demonstrates that even men experience that. It's not just something that women women are not the only ones who experience sexual fluidity. Even men do, and that will challenge. By reading this text and looking at this research, it can challenge your notions of someone having a certain nature and another person having a different nature. Because if sexuality is a, is a fluid um, phenomenon, um, there it, it kind of throws out the idea that there can be these static natures that inhere in various individuals. Second to last text is Spiritual Friendship, um, Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian, written by Wesley Hill. Um, he's a, he's not a theologian, but he's a, uh, oh, I forget what he is, assistant professor of biblical studies at Trinity School for Ministry. Um, he's written extensively about, um, about being a celibate gay Christian um, and other topics as well. This book is phenomenal um, for anyone, whether you're gay or straight, honestly, just read it if you want to become a better friend. It challenged me to become a, um, to really take my friendships seriously. And especially for those of us who are side B or who, who are celibate for any reason, um, living in a culture that idolizes marriage makes it difficult often to find meaningful friendships because everyone is just focused on getting married. Um, so that's a fantastic um, book if you're really done with that way of thinking and want to think in a more biblical way about relationships, one in which all relationships are given their due importance. Um, actually, I have two more texts. Um, one is Marriage, a History, 
by Stephanie Kuntz, how, and it's uh, Marriage of History, How Love Conquered Marriage. This book is phenomenal. Now it, you know, it is written from a, from a, from a, a large por portion of it is written, it is written from an, from an evolutionary stance, but if you sift, you know, if you are a person who does not believe in um, evolution, um, you can kind of sift out some of those aspects of the book and get to um, the meat of how people throughout history have viewed marriage. Um, and it challenges how we, um, especially in Western societies, view marriage in this kind, it kind of, it challenges how we view marriage. And um, it, it call, it's really called me to consider, wow, people in the Bible did not consider marriage in the ways that we say the Bible teaches about marriage. <laughs> the people who actually lived during the time that the, the Bible was written uh, didn't actually view marriage the, the way that we say they did. And it, it's it, very interesting. Um, so the last book I want to recommend is a book by Matthew Vines. It's written from a side A perspective, one that maintains a progressive biblical sex ethic, and it's called God and the Gay Christian. And the reason I want to recommend that resource for you is because it will challenge you to consider, even if you're, I'm not, I'm not concerned with anyone's perspective in this matter changing. It's not really that a big, a big thing for me, um, because I think it's reasonable that people would have either a side A or side B perspective. But what I think that by, re, if you're a side B person, I think that it will be very, or, you know, if you're a side B person, it will be very helpful for you to read the perspectives of um, Christians who are biblically based, but still come out to a side A perspective. It demonstrates that there's more than one way to be biblical. To be biblical is not to come to your opinion. To be biblical is to be, to, to be surrendered to the authority of the text and to the God who inspired the text. And so I think by reading that book and other side A literature, it can expand um, the thinking of a side B person. And the, the opposite is just as true. If you are a side A person, I encourage you to read um, read the texts um, by side B authors because it will challenge you to see that not all side B people are coming from a place of, of um, suppression or homo homophobia. So I think, I think those are some really good books. Yeah, man, you're, you're never going to lose anything by seeking to understand the other. So, so I love that. And I think that's a really brilliant aspect of um, having conversations, having meaningful connections with people. If you're too afraid to expose yourself to the thinking of the other, then developing meaningful relationships that are redemptive and Christ-centered is not going to be something you'll enjoy in your life. You're just not going to enjoy it. If, if you're too scared or, or, or too insecure to consider the perspective of the other, uh, if, if you're willing to consider the perspective of the other and, and to do so with grace and with humility and with kindness, you'll, you'll have a lifetime of amazing relationships. You'll, you'll leave a massive footprint on this earth in terms of how you related to people. Um, so yeah, you're never going to lose anything by seeking to understand the other, no matter where you are, seek to understand the other with grace, with charity. Um, I, I love the advice that Ellen White gives to always put the best possible construction on your brethren, right? Yes. And what she means by that is when you are in disagreement with someone, don't look for the worst possible um, script or template that you can see them through look for the best possible construction you know um and so always place that 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. Um, these are great resources. I am going to link them on the show notes on the storychurchproject.com and also on the SoundCloud where this episode will be live. So if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or some other podcast host and you can't see the links to those books, just go to the storychurchproject.com um, or rather, actually, you're not going to find it through there because that just takes you straight to the podcast episode. But if you go to soundcloud.com slash the story church project and you look up this episode on the on the comment underneath on the show notes, you'll you'll find the links to all of these. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope you really, really, really enjoyed this uh, podcast episode where rather than looking at the don'ts, we're looking at some of the do's in terms of relating to and connecting meaningfully with the LGBT plus community. Now, this is all we've got time for today. We've already gone over an hour and this conversation lasted a whole other hour after this. So uh, we're going to pause it there for now and I'll catch you next week as we explore part two of this conversation that closes out this amazing Podinar series on ministering with the LGBT plus community. I'll catch you then. Thank you.